It begins at Matthew 25:14 on page 961 in some few Bibles. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. Thanks very much, guys. Doing a terrific job up the front. I'm just going to steal your music stand there. I mentioned this last time I preached and I still attest to it. One of the best things about preaching is you get a glass of water supplied for you with a nice paper coaster. Happy Sunday to you all. Happy weekend to you all. I always enjoy my Sundays. I particularly enjoy my Sunday mornings because I get to have a nice sleep in. I, I slept in, I think, till about 8.30 today and I got up and I had a lazy breakfast. Mary made her own invention she calls Mary Miyaki, which is like a Japanese-inspired omelette without bacon. It was pretty good. Uh, I have a nice coffee. I get to sit around and do some things around the house, which is always nice. And then in the evening I get to come together to meet here with all of you, which is always a highlight as well. But then I tend to get to the end of my Sunday and the end of the weekend and I get this phenomenon called Sunday night blues. Who's had the Sunday night blues before? A few people. You sort of get to the end of your weekend and you kind of wish maybe you'd done a few more things. Um, 
Do you ever wonder about how you spend your time? I was on the internet the other day and I had a bit of a look at an infographic that was talking about how we tend to spend our time and I thought I'd share a few of those things with you. Uh, In an average lifetime, let's hope my PowerPoint works, in an average lifetime, the average person spends about 10.3 years in the workplace, which sounds pretty reasonable. Um, What scares me though is the average person spends about 8.1 years, nearly as long, watching TV. I'm sure that's none of you. Two of those years are spent watching commercials. We spend about 1.1 hours cleaning. Um, That's a statistic with men and women together. If you separated them, there'd probably be some pretty strong discrepancies, which I'm sure Mary could attest to as well. Oh, 1.1 years, that's supposed to be. Thank you. I typed that up just before I came. Um, Yeah. We spent about 2.5 years cooking and 3.6 years eating and then about 92 days on average sitting on the toilet. Men spend on average four minutes a day longer than women. I'm not sure if they've factored in having an iPhone or not. I know that that tends to increase my time. But anyway, does any of this actually matter? Does it matter what I do with my time? Does it matter what I do with my life? Am I wasting my life? Are you wasting your life? Well, this evening we're going to have a look at what Jesus has to say about that very topic. So, let's pray together and then we'll take a look. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, all these wonderful people can be here tonight to to meet together and to worship you, Lord. And Father, I just pray uh, that what you have to say to us through your word is challenging to us and that we can really have a good uh, think about it as we worship. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so let's have a look at where Jesus is coming from when he tells us this parable. If you haven't got your Bibles open, I encourage you to open them up again. We're going to be working our way through it. Uh, Matthew 25. And this parable lies towards the end of Matthew. Jesus has just finished telling the parable of the ten virgins, which, as we know, is all about being ready for Jesus to return. So we know that we need to be ready. But what does being ready actually look like? This was something I used to worry about when I was a child. There's another part in Matthew that talks about being ready for Jesus to return and it talks about two women uh, in a field and one taken and the other left. Um, Or two men, I think there's another one as well. And this used to freak me out a little bit. I, I thought that if I wasn't constantly thinking about Jesus returning, that I'd miss out. So I thought maybe I need to be looking up into the sky and praying. I was sort of picturing kind of a, uh, like the Qantas ads. Do you remember the, the Qantas ads where the people are all standing in the white robes and singing? Is that what being ready for Jesus to return is actually like? Well, that's what this parable is all about. It's talking about what we are to do, 
how we are meant to live while we wait for Jesus to return. So let's take a bit of a closer look. So it will be like a man going on a long journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now, like many other parables, the master in this parable refers to Jesus and, as I mentioned before, the servants are awaiting for the master's return as we are waiting for the return of Jesus. And here's the bit where it talks about the talents. It says, to one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went away on his journey. Now, the word here, talents, is where people tend to get a little bit confused because we naturally leap to the English interpretation of the word talents, which means skills and abilities, right? But in the Bible, in the the time that Jesus was talking about, a talent was a large amount of money. Now, depending where you read, it could be a year's wage or up to 10 years' wages. But regardless, it was a significant amount of money. And it says the master gave his servants talents according to their abilities. One, five, another two, and another one. Now let's have a think about what these talents could really symbolise. They belong to the master. They're entrusted to the servants to be invested for him. And one day the servants are to be called to give account for how the talents were used. So to me, that suggests that the talents in the parable refer to all of the opportunities, all of the responsibilities, all of the skills that God gives us to use in our lives. Opportunities to serve him in various different ways. In other words, the talents represent our lives because our lives are full of opportunities to serve God and he gives us capabilities to do that every day. We don't all have the same lives, we don't all have the same skills Just this week in our Bible study group, we're looking at 1 Corinthians where we're talking about the church being like a body and having many different parts and we're discussing how so many people in the church have different skills. For example, John is super organised. He always knows what's going on at church. He sends emails out to all the right people. He uses the same formats and fonts in everything he produces. Uh, Even in his life, he and Yvonne have a meal plan that they run to every night of the week. It's amazing. I'm not good like that. My meal plan consists of looking in the fridge and deciding what's going to be the next thing to go off and then googling recipes to try to find something nice that I can use. Or you can look at Owen Harris. Is Owen here tonight? I haven't seen him. No. Owen has really good skills at telling jokes. He can take the most sad and solemn situation and make it funny with a few well-placed puns. He's genius at it. We also have completely different careers. So, we have have different lives, we have different skills, we have different opportunities and responsibilities, but everything we have is given to us by God and we're expected to live accordingly. Now, that doesn't mean we have to spend every waking minute of the day reading our Bibles or evangelising to strangers. Paul says in Colossians that whatever it is we do, We are to do it not for ourselves, not for our human masters, but for God. And that brings him glory. So, let's go back to our parable. We know what happens next. The master goes away and the two good servants go and invest the money. 
and the servant who received the one talent goes and buries it in the ground. Then the master returns and the master calls them out to see how they've gone. The first servant comes to him and shows him the five talents and then shows that he's earned five more and the master is pleased with him. The second servant, who's been given the two talents, shows the master two more and the master is pleased with him as well. And he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant, and he invites them to come and share in his happiness. And then we come to the last servant, the one who received the one talent. And what does he say? Have a look with me. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And how does the master respond? Well, it seems like he's pretty angry here in the text. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. So who knew that I invest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, I don't think the master is necessarily agreeing with the servant here uh, about being a man that harvests where he hasn't sown and gathers where he hasn't scattered seed. I think there's a, there's a slightly sarcastic tone here. He's quoting the servant and using his words against him to criticise the actions he took. So then he judges the servant and he has him thrown outside into the darkness with the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. So, I have three main points that I want to share with you today. Sorry, go forward. A wasted life reflects a damaged relationship with God. When we read this parable, it's easy to say, oh, I get it. If I work hard for God, he will be pleased with me and then I'll go to heaven. But if I don't work hard enough, God will reject me and I'll go to hell. That seems to be what's happening here, right? They're being judged based on what they've been able to achieve with their talents. But hang on, that can't be right because the Bible says we're saved by God's grace, not by works so that no one can boast. That's Ephesians chapter 2. So it must be more than that. And I think it's the third servant that really gives the game away here. When he's explaining to the master why he didn't do anything with the talent, his response shows where his heart really lies. He says, I knew you were a hard man. You harvest where you haven't sown and you gather where you haven't scattered seed. I was afraid. He's saying, you ask too much. You don't deserve what you have and you don't deserve my respect. He doesn't respect his master at all. He doesn't love his master. He thinks his master is greedy and selfish And he's afraid of him. And his actions reflect that. The master doesn't punish the servant because he doesn't get a good return for his money. He punishes him because instead of being a good and faithful servant, he's a wicked and lazy one. It's the same with us. Our response to God reflects our relationship with him. Except Unlike the servant, we have even more motivating us to serve our master because our master not only provides for us, he created us. He created the world and everything in it. 
And then, when we rejected him, he went and died for a cross, died on a cross for us, so that we could come close to him again. Our master is so much more than the master in the story. But the same principle applies. The way we serve and respond to him reflects our relationship with him. Being saved by God's grace is a good and wonderful thing because if it were up to us, nobody would be saved. We just can't be good enough. But that doesn't mean it's okay to sit back and go, okay, Jesus saved me. I don't have to do anything else. I'm just going to sit back and wait for judgment day. It doesn't really matter what I do with my life. Jesus is saying it does matter what you do with your life because what you do with your life exposes you. What you do with your life shows what your relationship with him is really like. Don't waste your life. A wasted life is not investing for God. When the master gave the servants the talents, the expectation was that they would go and invest the talents and get a good return for it. The master points out to the last servant that the least he could have done was put it in the bank and get interest. So the implication is more was expected than that. Presumably, in order to get a good return for the money, they had to generate some sort of income with it. So maybe they had to make a business or do some good buying and selling decisions. It doesn't exactly say how they did it, but it's fair to assume that they went out and they took some risks. Now, I'm not saying they went to the casino and gambled and were foolish with their money. Being foolish and taking risks are two different things. Taking risks means to step out and do something when you're not sure what might happen. Being foolish is stepping out and doing something when wisdom says something bad's probably going to happen. The wicked servant wasn't prepared to take risks. He wanted to play it safe. So he chose to bury the talent in the ground. He seemed to think it'd be okay as long as he didn't lose the talent. He thought that if he spent the entire time his master was away making sure that the talent was kept safe, it would be good enough. I think many of us live that way. We spend our entire lives trying to stay safe. We have this great message to tell people about the grace of God and we're too afraid to take any risks. We live in our Christian bubble, we go to church, we read our Bibles, but the moment anything comes up where we might need to step out of our comfort zone, we curl up into a little ball and say, nope, too scary, I might do something wrong. Well, if this is your attitude, I think you've missed the whole point of Christian living. Jesus isn't saying he wants you to live a quiet Christian life waiting for him to return. He wants you to get out there and invest. Use your life to serve him. Bring him glory. That's why he gave you life in the first place. One thing that can be a big trap, especially for young people, is that we tend to see our young lives as stepping stones. Maybe you're studying, maybe you're at school, or you might be at uni, maybe you have a part-time job, maybe you really don't know what you're doing at the moment. When I was at school, I certainly didn't know what I wanted. In year 10, I seemed to think being a vet would be a good idea, because you got paid like a doctor, and your patients never complained to you. thought it was genius. 
That was until I decided I didn't really like animals very much at all. And that I was allergic to cats. And I didn't think they smelt very nice either. So after my work experience at the vet, I decided that that was a waste. Anyway, when you're growing up, it's pretty easy to say, well, at the moment, my job isn't important. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where God wants me to be. So I'm not going to put in my best effort. I'll start to really live my life once I get into my real job. That's when it really matters. And we forget that our life is now just as much of a talent, in the terms of this parable, as our life in the future is. As I mentioned earlier, Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, do it as if you were serving the Lord, not your human masters. That's how we should be living our lives. Not waiting for it to start, not being afraid to do something wrong or take risks. Live every day because God has entrusted it to you with the expectation that you will invest it. At the end of your life, when you come before the throne of God, do you really want to be saying, thanks for the life you let me live, God? Here it is. I haven't done anything with it, but hey, mint condition, haven't even got a scratch on it. Every time I thought there might be a dangerous situation, I backed off, I read my Bible in private, prayed privately, I made sure that I blended into the school or work, I hung out with other Christians all the time. I lived a good, safe Christian life. How do you think God should respond to that? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Don't waste your life. Take risks for God. Point number three. A wasted life is blind to the future. This is where it starts to get really serious. There's never any doubt in the passage that the master is coming back. And he will come back, and at his return, we will be called to account. And when the master returns, he comes expecting a return for his investment. He doesn't expect the same return from everyone, because not everyone was given the same. Note in verses 21 and 23, he says exactly the same words, even though the master gave them different amounts. Well done, good and faithful servant. Remember, the money was given out according to their abilities, so the master seems equally pleased with them. But he does expect a return from everyone. And there is a serious and grave punishment that awaits the wicked and lazy servant. It says he was thrown into the darkness with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Bible language, that means hell. There is a very real and very dangerous temptation to live for today and postpone work for tomorrow. The problem is, we don't know when the master will return, only that he will. Don't be caught unprepared. Don't wait until you feel ready or until you get yourself in order or until your life gets less busy. God has given us now. You already have your talents in your hands. Use them. Invest them because he will return. Don't be blind to the future. Don't waste your life. At the start of this talk, I gave you a bunch of statistics saying how the typical person lives their life. I want you to think about your life. If we made an infographic about your life, what would it look like? 
I imagine you spend some time at work, at uni, at school, at home. What opportunities has God given you to serve him? Well, here's the thing. God doesn't care so much about what you do as he does about how and why you're doing it. Like I mentioned earlier, we're all entrusted with different lives, but the Bible does tell us this. Same verse I've been saying the whole time. Whatever it is you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Whatever it is you do, wherever you are, God has entrusted you with talents that you have been given at this point in your life. Are you investing them? Are you using your life to serve the king? When the master returns, and he will, will you be able to say to him, Lord, this is what you gave me, and look, here is what I've done with it. And will he be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, sharing your master's happiness? I want you to think about that tonight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the talents you have given us. Thank you for our lives and our opportunities and our skills that you have given us to serve you. Uh, Father God, I pray that tonight we'll think about uh, the place you have put us in our lives and everything that you have given us. And Lord, I just pray that we can use what you have given us to invest for you. Invest for your kingdom, Lord. And we pray that we won't be blind to the future, that we'll be prepared to take risks and that our relationship will be shown with the lives that we live. In Jesus' name, Amen.